I'm Julie Bindle, and in this episode, I'm talking to the Labour MP for Canterbury, Rosie Duffield. So if you're an anonymous idiot on Twitter who thinks you can tell everyone to pile on on me, good luck with that. I'm a 51-year-old woman. You know, I've raised children alone and, you know, worked for very little money. Real life equips you. I remember seeing Rosie in 2019 during a debate on the domestic violence bill in Parliament standing up and speaking about the fact that she had escaped an abusive relationship and her words made me cry but also filled me with hope about the future of feminism and the fact that there were women in parliament at long last speaking out against men's violence and then ironically Rosie was piled upon shortly afterwards for tweeting or liking a tweet I can't quite remember that said that only women have cervixes, which of course is a fact, it's true. And since then, as you'll probably know, accusations of transphobia, bigotry, homophobia have followed her, despite the fact that she has always been an ally to lesbian and gay people. Rosie and I had a great conversation about that, about the way that bullying works online, but also about her feminism. And we also had a tiny bit of a chat about that infamous lunch that we were both at with Joe Rowling that became an internet sensation. It was definitely a good afternoon. Here's Rosie. I mean, I suppose it would be remiss of me not to mention Joe Rowling, our friend, um, who um, we, we had lunch with, that infamous lunch that has been beautifully replicated by women's groups all over the UK. I mean, I, I see photographs, and outside of the UK as well, so I see photographs of groups of women lunching, um, you know, either with booze or without it, you know, with, with Prosecco or, you know, with cider, and they're having the best time because it's about sisterhood isn't it and, mm, absolutely. Uh, uh, the, the, I mean you, you know we, we know how how lovely that lunch was because it was about solidarity I mean most of us were friends individually or in sort of little offshoot groups but just to all be together it just it it just felt like getting into a warm bath didn't it and that was yeah. that safe feeling that you just don't get in parliament but one of the reasons that I always say that you're a woman first and then party political in in Westminster is because you just kind of gravitate towards other women and you feel safe and you feel like you've got to watch each other's back. And I suppose that's why it hurts so much when women turn their backs on us or when they actively campaign against us. Because I do think, you know, people, people will really dislike me for saying this, but... I don't think they mean it. I don't think that they believe that trans women are women. I don't think they think it's all right to have an erect penis in a changing room. And I don't think they think it's all right to have Karen White in women's prisons. I think they know fine well that we're not anti-trans. I think they know fine well that we have fought against marginalised, the the oppression of marginalised people for all of our adult lives. They're aware of that. And it's happening more and more to women like me isn't it you know we're either accepted or we talk about 
something that we're passionate about that isn't allowed and then we're completely hated so I'm, I'm trying to avoid using cancelled because it's so overused but also people point out you know I've still got a platform you've still got a platform it's really we get away with it in, in terms of we can speak about what we want to but we're not cancelled no one you know I can't get cancelled for my job by Twitter people nor can you you know um but it does put off ordinary women from speaking in their workplaces as we've seen and things like that so so yeah it, it really does all hinge on the liking of a tweet one minute I was this sort of person people felt sympathy for and had kind of praised for speaking up and then the next minute I was hated yeah it's almost as if they think they've got to bring the bitch down I mean Obviously, yeah. they're my words, not yours. But in, in terms of the whole, I mean, I, I try not to use the term cancelled as well. And I've been told, well, ha ha, Bindle is silenced yet again with another column in the national newspaper this week. But I'm a journalist. You're an MP. We both have public positions. A few weeks ago, you were literally deplatformed from a library, which, you know, if anyone wants to know if that's happening, yes, it is. Yeah, it does yeah. still happen. It does. And then they say, well, yeah, but Bindle was cancelled from speaking at Nottingham Library because because trans people didn't want her there during the holy month of Pride. And then they say, but look, she managed to write about it in a national newspaper. Well, yes, because we are the ones that are speaking out for all of those, for ourselves as well, but for all of those women and a few men in recent times that don't have a voice and don't speak out because they haven't even got a career. They haven't even embarked on a career yet and they'd be finished before they started. But that job, if you put yourself out there on a public platform, so my first speech, I was thrilled that my first ever speech in public the day after I got elected was at Pride. Canterbury had only recently reinstated Pride. I think we'd had a few attempts at it in years gone by, but we had an MP who voted against equal marriage who was quite open that his own particular Christian views informed his beliefs that, you know, relationships should only be between a man and a woman. Um, and he was very upfront about that. Obviously, I completely disagree. Um, and I was thrilled. My first, again, there I was, lauded all over Twitter for, for choosing to make my first speech at Pride. And I thought, what's the big deal? This is just me. I've always gone to Pride. And it's, it's, you know for me I really enjoyed the day and there I am sort of being able to give my first public speech and all of those people who've some of them who've disagreed with one or two things that I have said lately have cancelled all of my history um, mm. supporting LGB rights and you know marching and going to pride and all of those things you know of course these are people who don't know me but they do know that I was someone who chose to make my first speech at Pride. That wasn't a coincidence. It was where I was happy and comfortable, you know, and um, and they can try and sort of wipe out all the history. I mean, some of them are sort of 12 years old and I've been going to Pride since before they were born, you know, um, yeah. and it's really sad that people can, can try and do that. And it's this wrong thing and kind of a complete dystopian approach to the truth, isn't it, really? No, you're absolutely right. And what you just said resonates because I think that there's two things going on and maybe they're both going on at the same time. One is exactly as you say, you had a history of being a very strong, a staunch ally um, for the lesbian and gay movement, for LGBT rights in general. You supported Pride. You're clearly someone who's on the left. You know, you believe in 
social justice, equality and the like, and the overthrow, you know, to overthrow oppression of marginalised groups. And then that counted for nothing. It was as if it hadn't happened. And worse than that, you were a bigot, a Nazi, a fascist, all of the things I've called you. But you see, I think that's going on. I think it's the, in my case, dismissal of, denial of my 40 years of feminist activism. But I also think... But I also think in part it's because it's because of our stance of our activism, of our feminism, of our pro-women stance, that they feel that's what... I think they hate us more for standing up for women than they would if we'd never stood up for women. I guess, but that's... You're right. I mean, misogyny is banded about so much by people who want to sort of make it a hate crime, people who want to, you know, label everyone misogynist if they don't sort of do certain things but misogyny literally means the hatred of women you know and the sort of things that we've been subjected to shutting us down silencing our voices if possible cancelling us if, if they could that is the hatred of women and it is almost all of it done by as we all you know we make jokes about the certain kind of men that do it but it is the kind of men who you're right wouldn't have liked us anyway so we're not really allowed, you know, we've jumped up, we've got, I mean, just recently I've been through my reselection as a Labour MP, we all have to, ironically, go through a fire and rehire process in the Labour Party, even though we're supposed to be opposed to that kind of thing. Um, so I've just been through mine and overwhelmingly got reselected, which is lovely, but I happen to know that the people that were plotting against me weren't, as you would imagine, necessarily. I mean, obviously there was the factional element and they reared their head for the first time in two years at meetings and things and tried to get organised and really enjoy that kind of thing. And they did that and failed. But there were a couple of men who are supposedly in my faction of the party who are still reeling from the fact that the first Labour MP we got in Canterbury happens to be a woman. And I've worked mm-hmm. in campaigns with these people. They're not self-aware enough to even know that that's the issue. They keep coming up with different and really increasingly pathetic reasons um, and trying to sort of catch me out. But they cannot bear it. They cannot bear that there's a woman with a platform. And it's so transparent if you look at the way that one of the local papers has treated me, for example. So my predecessor, who was in the job for 30 years and was openly, you know, we call it homophobic, um, accidentally, poor man, it was awful, uh, killed someone in a motorcycle accident. He, he drove into a motorcycle and killed the, the driver in Italy instantly. And I think it got something like half a page or a little column in the newspaper and I thought at the time that's that's quite kind that being generous to him it was an accident when it comes to my love life however that gets full page spreads not my politics not what I might have done in parliament not even local visits which I do every single week that doesn't get covered but my love life gets this huge spread you know it's not rocket science it really isn't it's it's just so clear isn't it what's happening here and the the more women that speak out um especially women in the public eye because we can trace how this publicity how the response goes on social media works and it is so disproportionate to, to 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 what happens when for example men the bearded dudes as i call them the luke's and whoever who have been exposed and I don't believe in trawling through people's Twitter history and finding something they said or did wrong 
12 years ago that they've since absolutely not but you know there have been a couple of examples wouldn't take anyone too long to find out which ones I'm talking about of staunch trans allies usually gay men who have said something deeply offensive about trans people in the past and there's a little bit of a kind of hiccup on Twitter and then they are surrounded by love forgiveness understanding empathy Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, those I've, I've done sort of experiments when I first got elected. Um, one of my colleagues said to me, just watch if you and a male colleague tweet out exactly the same thing at the same time. Within seconds, you'll start getting misogyny or abuse or whatever. And I thought, oh, this is an exaggeration. So I've done it a few times. I, I, don't, I don't often make a habit of retweeting the official Labour lines or party sort of tweets and things but I've done it a few times and I've watched as men get you know occasional sort of bit of a bite but mine almost always in the first couple of years descended into my appearance you know dumb blonde that kind of thing within you know a couple of comments and replies and it's just so tedious and of course if you include someone like my friend Marsha you've got that and then you've got racism so I mean it's so boringly predictable it's like yes. come on <laughs> well there's there's that and we've seen how you've been uh, pilloried on social media in the press and the lies and quite frankly defamatory statements that have been made about you mm-hmm. but tell us about the support or lack of support that you've had from colleagues in the Labour Party and what you've tried to do to get them to step up to the mark on this. Oh God, I mean I don't want to be unkind about my colleagues, I really don't, you know, but it does really stick in the bra sometimes when, is that an expression, does that make sense? Is that the... <laughs> Who knows, it might be a mixed metaphor or cliche, but we know what you mean. It's pretty bloody annoying to see people with incredibly huge majorities in incredibly safe seats who I know agree with me, who are even in secret WhatsApp groups agreeing with me and my colleagues. And, you know, they are senior Labour women. And I have an awful lot to lose. I had a hell of a lot to lose when I was um, talking out about anti-Semitism because I had a majority of 187. And I had an awful lot of Corbynistas who hated the bones of me for speaking out against that. I don't even have a synagogue in my constituency, but for me, it was right and wrong. So I chose to do that. And in this argument as well, you know, my majority has gone up 10 times, but it's still under 2000. I'm not in a safe seat, I'm in a marginal seat, but I didn't hesitate. I thought it through, but I didn't hesitate to speak out about this. And yet you see women with over 10,000 majorities with incredibly safe seats and senior jobs in the party. And you think, come on, for Christ's sake, speak up. What are you there for? And what's really galling as well is you see these people kind of not exactly slagging you off on, uh, you know, but sticking to the party lines, who stuck to those same party lines, but you could swap out the words Jeremy for Keir. And where's the integrity? What do you believe in? What are your core beliefs? And what are your passions in politics? If you say the same things because you've got a job in the front bench under Jeremy and the same in Ke- how is that, you know, something that or someone that people can really believe in and and understand where they're coming from? I, I don't want a job in the front bench enough. Having said that, it is also 
pretty insulting that I'm about the only member of my intake not to have been offered a position on the front bench, mm-hmm. but I've achieved quite a lot actually. And you know, I think there are things that I could bring to a role. But having said that, um, it's not something I actively want either. So, but it'd be nice to be asked. Well, yes, and there's something that has long really I mean it doesn't puzzle me I don't think but has occurred to me and I'd really like your your take on this is about how and I position this on the hard left I suppose those on the hard left Mm. are those I would consider to take a line that can skirt towards anti-semitism and they also take a line which is trans women are women and they also take a line that sex work is work. So here we have a situation where, so I'm a 60-year-old feminist who became active in the women's liberation movement before I was 20 years old. So more than four decades of dealing with the contradictions of the left when it comes to campaigning against violence against women. And it used to be just the old beer and sandwiches blokes in the unions that dominated, and it was before women demanded a seat at the table and got one. But now, today, it's a topsy-turvy situation where what in the the old left, the beer and sandwiches left, where there were plenty of problems, but in a way I look back quite nostalgically at, that would have spoken out against anti-Semitism, whether or not they were Jews, would never have said that the inside of a woman's body is a suitable workplace and that we leave women at the bottom of the pile to literally be sexually exploited and, and raped for money. And they would never have denied science and and biology and yeah. said that we should accept, that lesbians should accept a sexual partner with a penis. So what the hell's happened with the, with, the, with the hard left? But that's my Labour Party. You know, I have literally no problem talking to any working person who's got a tradition of being in the party. I've got some mining villages still and we can sit around and we can disagree on Brexit but we can have that conversation I really enjoy having those conversations with with people from that left background actually they're usually really well informed and you know I work with quite a lot of those that age kind of man if you like in my CRP but it's the new socialists isn't it the people that are really keen on sex work are usually the young bearded men but going back to those kind of people what I have been really heartened by, actually, on the flip side of that is, um, and you and I have talked about this, that people like Ruth Sawatka, who, who would have seen, you know, and the people that founded Woman's Place and, you know, LWD, a lot of those old school, quite left wing feminists didn't hesitate to support me, even though a lot of them would have been on the other side with Corbyn, you know, and I'm just a sort of Blairite scum type person, um, they didn't hesitate to come flocking right. me and, and protect me and have my back because women first. And that, that has been a real, you know, I've been really humbled by that, actually. I think that's really interesting because I'm the type of feminist that would be branded a radical feminist. And sometimes I use that for shorthand, but I just think of it as feminism. And yeah, I suppose, the, I mean, the reason why they, they use the term radical feminist is because in the old days, um, children, when, when it was the women's liberation movement in its heyday and there were different groups, we were, we were huge and definitely big enough for, for factions, um, 
bigger factions than we've got now, there were the socialist feminists and those women tended to not prioritise issues of male violence and abuse, but prioritised other kind of related issues. And and we did. We, we saw that as the connector between all women and girls everywhere in the world, that we either fear mm. it or we experience it. So that was great. And that's that struggle has continued uh, to be at the forefront of my work and campaigning. But when I was first targeted by the trans activists back in 2004, and it was a very lonely place then, there were, there were a couple of... There were some women who came forward apart from my wider friendship group who were there always throughout but a couple of women who were in the public eye and therefore had things to lose who spoke out for me the most and they were socialist feminists they were well on the left they were leftist activists and I think it's because they understood that this is something that happens to women always when men think we've got a bit too uppity We've got oh, too many rights, you know. There, there were other women who could smell misogyny. I mean, we know what it is when we see it. And sadly, I think that there is that thing of internalised misogyny because we see some of these really loudly sort of pro-trans activists who are, you know, the extreme ones who are sort of waving the flags and, and all of that are women. And it, that hurts, doesn't it? it mm-hmm. You know, when they're the ones that are really trying to sort of eradicate me and you and Joe Rowling, you know, that that's really quite hurtful. But you think, you know, they're doing it to, at some level, please, you know, I don't think they know that they are, but, you know, please their audience. And yes. that happens in the Labour Party every single day of my life, you know. And to the extent that it is a little bit like school, you know, you'll get people sort of hanging out in particular groups or particular tables at the tea room. And they're trying to, you know, they know who their supporters are and they know their audience. And, you know, it's those are the kind of people that are not open and don't want to listen, the kind of people that knock on the chief whip's door and ask for me to be cancelled very, very often. You know, I think I'm pretty reasonable in most of my interviews, but I always say what I feel. I am not anti-trans. So the fact that they're constantly looking for things to to prove that I am must really piss them off because there isn't anything because I'm not and the same with you and you know we've got friends in common who are um, on our side and who speak to us who have also been through transition who are trans people and that must really really irk the Owen Joneses of this world because they're daring to have a different opinion and a different sort of viewpoint which is from lived experience and they accept us and we get on really well and you know we just don't all of us have in common that we don't want to cancel women's safe spaces women's safety women's words women's rights you know and yeah I mean it's in my my blood I was brought up by a feminist woman and all of these discussions around the table in my house were with her feminist my mum's feminist friends and it's just there it's baked in it's who I am it's where I come from you know and I'm not 12 and I don't think that the world could be changed where we're all called bleeders or vagina havers or whatever that rubbish, you know, chest beaters, mm. or mm. you know, and no one asked us, did they? It just suddenly started, you know, the NHS and organisations that we pay for, that we are supposed to be represented by, have suddenly started to erase us from language. And any radical feminist like we are 
from the tradition of knowing what attacks on women look and feel like is, you know, it's in our bones to fight that, to rebel against it, to kick out and say no. Exactly. And and yet there are so few still, although growing numbers, that have actually stood up and spoken out from the public arena. So I'm not talking about those thousands of women whose names we don't know, who have just gone ahead and spoken out and said, we're not taking this, we are not having this. Thank God for that. Exactly. But I always think, if you're in the public eye, if you've got a public profile, and I mean in a good way as opposed to, you know, you've been in prison for 12 years for a heinous crime. I mean, if, if you're in the media, if you're a politician, then I think that we have a duty to speak out. Yeah, an do. imperative. Yeah, I used to think this about about being a lesbian. I still do. That if you're a famous person, whether it's a gay man or a lesbian, you only have to come out once. Mm. They they then know forever. You're not going to get in taxis and be asked what your husband does if you're a woman and you're known. If you're mm. Martina Navratilova, and we have such mm. a lot to that we we um, owe her, then you know you you come out you come out once and that's it. Elton John, yeah, the same. So why don't more people in the public eye, and I can think of several who we know, you and I know, very famous people who agree with us, who don't oh. actually say, I support those women, I support those gay men saying this, I don't think they're transphobes, and I don't think that you can change sex, and I do believe that this is a threat to women's rights. Why aren't they speaking out? I ask myself this all the time. I think the only answer is fear of being cancelled, fear of not earning a living. And the fact is we know a lot of people who have lost their way. I mean, look at what's happened to Graham Linehan, you know, people like that. And he was in lots of ways a bit of a pioneer on this. You know, he can't even write comedy, which he's brilliant at anymore for, for the mainstream. So people have watched that, haven't they? And they've thought, Oh my God, they, they've watched the way that Jo has been spoken against by the cast that she, she gave careers to. Yes. You know, Potter movies and, and things. And people don't want that for themselves. Why would they? And with politicians, it's usually all about love me, love me, love me. You know, because our entire job depends on, it's, it's a beauty contest, isn't it? It's a popularity contest. You know, we're constantly asking for our jobs every few years. And I think people are just afraid. But for me personally, I was in my 40s when I got this job. I survived as a single mum on pretty, you know, not much money. So I know what's the worst that can happen, that I have to go back to being a public sector worker, scraping together money that comes in every two weeks. I survived that. I was okay. If that's the worst that can happen, so what? You know, if that's the worst, that I can lose this dream of a job I never expected to get, then okay. You know, I will survive. I'm, I'm going to live. Um, you know, and I think that's it. It's fear, isn't it? It's fear of being, you know, and if you are in the public eye, you've done so because you like the adulation, you like the popularity, you like the fame. I hated that aspect when I got um, elected. And you learn to live with it. You learn to sort of embrace it because it does help your job. It does give you a platform. There's, there's lots of good stuff. Um, and you can't choose the good stuff and, and throw away the bad stuff, sadly. So you just have to embrace it. But, but yeah, I guess it's that fragile, it's that fear, isn't it? It's the fear that makes people be quiet. It is. It is. And, and obviously, you know, when they were 
picking on me back in the early days. It was a lesson to any other feminist that spoke out. Of course. You know, eventually feminists did speak out. It took a bit of a while. But, you know, I used to think in dark days, well, is this it forever now? We'll never get through to the liberal masses. We'll... They'll always just think that anyone that says what I'm saying is a bigot. They'll always equate it with the fight against Section 28, which I find deeply offensive. It really isn't. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a wholly different issue. But then things started to change, thanks to the likes of you, Women's Place setting up, and more mainstream people. Joe Rowling's made a huge difference, massive difference. Mm. And, and actually, what I feared would never happen is happening which is that we're being vindicated, not because people necessarily will always agree with us on our take on the trans issues, yeah. that's fine, but but how we're being vindicated is that they've realised that this has been deeply unfair and that it's been mm. misogynistic bullying targeting mainly women. And yeah. I, I don't think you can unsee that once you actually realise what's no, going I on. That, isn't it? It's the light bulb moment. People are looking, I mean, surely now, People are looking at the sort of string of people who've been cancelled or been targeted or been, you know, bullied. And I think what's happening is that those who are determined, you know, the Owen Joneses of the world, are doubling down, you know, in that kind of slightly panicky way that, that happens when they're sort of going against the tide. They're losing. It's a struggle to be relevant still, yeah, and, and they're losing. So, but I mean, he he's had it in for me for years because of Corbyn and stuff anyway. So, you know, it's just a bit Same old, annoying. same old. Yeah like an annoying kind of thing in the corner but I think also what you know people with a fear have to realize is you know you you go through that and maybe yeah the worst happens and you're you know vilified on Twitter and you're written about and you're you know spat at sort of socially on social media and and all of that but it isn't as bad as some things that some women go through right I think that plays as well in my sort of experience of a you know an abusive relationship you know do these people really think that I'm going to be afraid of their anonymous kind of vitriol when you know I have actually lived in a situation where I was afraid every single day and that's real that was my real lived life so if you're an anonymous idiot on Twitter who thinks you can tell everyone to pile on on me Good luck with that. I'm a 51 year old woman. You know, I've raised children alone and, you know, worked for very little money. It's real life equips you as a woman who, especially, you know, when we're born, basically all we're kind of valued for is what we look like and what we can sort of, you know, how we can help men really in lots of ways. And, you know, we've lived this for decades and decades and decades little boys kind of being a bit naughty and a bit annoying that's all it is you know that's all it is it's it's so stupid as if that's going to change my our views on you know what's right and wrong it's just the do you know rosie that could not be a better place to end on that is so <laughs> good little boys being annoying that's what it's it true <laughs> it's true you you're brilliant and you know, I was really moved at, at that lunch when I saw you and Joe together hugging and both, you know, but, yeah, but both raised kids on your own as single mums. Both had been on benefits. Both had been mm. through domestic abuse situations. And there we are now. Um, you know, yeah. here we all are. And all I want now 
is apart from an end to patriarchy which is a slightly longer project <laughs> is for more women to be able to speak out and we will stand in front of them and and give them whatever strength and encouragement they need absolutely and thank you for being the trailblazer because you know i came along to it quite late really and it was just i was people like you and alison um who piqued me I, I i was watching alison and anya in particular just just when this all sort of started and thinking what's going on there and i think they both dm'd me actually um a few years back and i just sort of thought this is really strange this can't be happening and you know i was fully kind of everyone's rights and you know trans women are women and all of that trying to to be nice and trying to be kind and trying to make room for everyone which I still will but um but yeah just watching those women and and someone like Alison and you and people that I really admired I'm thinking how can this how you know and eventually we all get there don't we we're all going hang on that's a reasonable person who I agree with on lots of different things so why would I completely not listen refuse to listen on this so I think yeah you guys have, have kind of got us there and let's hope that more MPs on my side you know maybe start listening but what what's going to pee me off I have to be honest is that when people realize that the tide has turned when they realize that the most popular opinion yep. is our one and then they speak up you know then I'm going to think really you know are you just waiting for it's not about right and wrong then, it's about being on, seeing to be on the right side. And that's a very, oh, yeah. you know, and I can't abide that. Well, Actually. you know, um, we won't forget. That's all I'll no. say. No, and that's very true. But thank you for everything that you do and will continue to do. It's, it's been lovely to talk to you. Keep me going. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And I also hope that it got through to those it needs to get through to that this bullying of women for speaking the truth and standing up for what is right for our sex-based rights is nothing short of misogyny and where we can we should always speak out and condemn it <laughs>